Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. California will require all healthcare workers to get the COVID vaccine booster. In a tweet on Tuesday, Governor Gavin Newsom said the state is taking action to protect Californians and to make sure our hospitals are prepared. Healthcare workers in California are already mandated to be vaccinated. Newsom plans to release more details later this morning. Meanwhile, in San Jose, Mayor Sam Licardo has proposed his own booster mandate. If approved by the city council, it would require all San Jose city employees to receive booster shots as a condition of employment. And anyone who enters city-owned facilities would also be required to get a booster. The fact that this is much more transmissible means that a smaller percentage of a much larger denominator, a much larger base of people who are infected, can still fill up our hospitals and can still cripple an urban health system. And so we critically need to be vigilant. And being vigilant means wearing a mask, means getting the booster shot. The city council is expected to take up the proposal next month, and the requirement could be in place by late January. If approved, San Jose would be the first major city in the state to require boosters as part of a vaccination mandate. Nearly 9 million Californians have already received their booster shot. Health officials have expressed concerns about a spike in hospitalizations in the state over the last two weeks, although the numbers are still well below what California saw during a summer surge due to the Delta variant. Well, get protected, get tested, and stay vigilant. That's Mayor Eric Garcetti's message to Angelinos as the Omicron variant spreads in Los Angeles. Omicron is doubling every 1.5 to every three days. And we've seen a caseload here in L.A. County go from about 1,000 cases just a few weeks ago to 3,000 cases a day right now. At a press conference Tuesday, Garcetti said he believes the high number of cases New York and the U.K. are seeing now will soon touch down in L.A. But even with the holidays around the corner, he said, further stay-at-home orders are not in the picture. I don't see a lockdown. I think we're so much better protected than we were. Um, I do think that restrictions such as masking indoors will continue, especially as these cases go up. The mayor said you don't have to cancel your travel plans, but you should get tested frequently. And if you think you've been exposed to the virus, get a PCR test. If you're a student or staffer on a University of California campus, you're going to need to get a booster shot. The UC system announced the new booster requirement this week, citing the fast-spreading Omicron variant. As KCRW's Tara Atrian reports, it's one of many new COVID changes that could be coming to the UC system. 
Eligible students and staff must get a booster shot before coming back to campus after the holidays. In a letter to the chancellor's UC President Michael Drake says the evidence is clear that a booster shot is essential for protection against Omicron and other variants. He also asked them to come up with plans for a safe return to campus, including a possible change to remote learning at least for the start of the term. Each university will be tasked with coming up with their own protocols given the differences in local conditions and campus operations. UC Irvine, Riverside, Santa Cruz and San Diego have already joined a growing list of schools nationwide that are staying remote for the first two weeks of winter quarter. They say the extra time allows for testing and isolation after the holiday season. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. And both UCLA and UC Santa Barbara have also announced plans to start the first two weeks of instruction remotely. UC Davis will have at least one week of remote learning as well. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. California will help up to 40,000 homeowners catch up on their mortgage payments. Governor Gavin Newsom says the state will use about a billion dollars in federal money to help people who have fallen behind on their mortgage payments during the pandemic. The program will pay past due housing payments in full, up to a maximum of $80,000 per household. That money would go directly to banks or mortgage servicers. Only people who own and occupy one property and make at or below 100 percent of their area median income will be eligible. The state also has a program to pay Californians past due rent. So far, the state has paid $1.6 billion to more than 137,000 households. Not to trigger your paranoia this morning, again, but did you know there's a good chance your child's personal info is on the dark web? That's because hackers target schools, along with everything else. KQED's Rachel Myro from our Silicon Valley desk wants to add one more thing to your list of New Year's resolutions for 2022. Retired dentist Anu Minocha of Saratoga has three children, a 19-year-old at UCLA and a pair of 17-year-olds in high school. Twins, yes. Minocha says she wasn't raised in a financially savvy or transparent way, so it's been important to her and her husband to raise their children to be comfortable discussing money. Where are they going to learn that from if you don't, you know, show it to them? The family meets weekly to go over 
everything. So they know our income. They know how much uh, electricity, water, everything costs, the mortgage, the insurance, and the vacations, which they so enjoy. They know how much they cost. The 19-year-old has a Discover card. The twins have bank accounts. Minocha is aware that ransomware attacks have spiked in the last year, but she says she's not alarmed. What do you do? I mean, that's the world we live in, right? So you can't hide under a blanket. I think you just have to teach kids how to manage that world. For Minocha, that means being on the alert to respond quickly to hacks. But experts say you should also act proactively and freeze your child's credit. Eva Velasquez heads the Identity Theft Resource Center in El Cajon, east of San Diego. That nonprofit supports victims of identity crime. We don't wrap our brains around that this is actually a thing, especially parents. Really, that's one more thing I have to worry about, but it is the world we live in right now. Even if they don't have their own financial accounts, even if they're not on Instagram. There's a misconception among parents that a lot of this is behavior driven. My child doesn't engage online. They don't have social media accounts or they don't have a bank account. And I'm sorry to burst your bubble here, but that is really giving you a false sense of security. Your children do have identity credentials. We are creating data about our children. You are claiming them on your taxes. They have a social security number. And home addresses, possibly passport numbers, driver's license numbers. What are hackers doing with all this data? Well, let's let's run through them. So there's financial identity theft. The list is too long to detail here, but examples uh, include opening credit credit cards, taking out car loans, payday loans, purchasing medical equipment, applying for government benefits. And a child's data can be used in any one of those types or all. A number of parents I talked to expressed exasperation that each of the big three credit reporting agencies, Experian, Expedia, and TransUnion, has a different application process, a different way to prove you are the legal guardian you say you are. Experts say, yes, it's annoying, but deal. There have been more ransomware-related cyber attacks this year, 2021, year-to-date, Then there were in all of 2020 and 2019 combined. Got that? Last thought, you might also want to freeze the credit of vulnerable older family members. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. And Rachel outlines the steps to freeze your child's credit online. Head to kqed.org to read more. Every mile or so along Highway 101 in Central California, you can find a cast iron bell supported by a shepherd's hook hanging next to the roadway. The bells follow a network of roads called the El Camino Real, or King's Highway, between the 21 Spanish missions from Sonoma to San Diego. But to many Native Americans, the history of California's missions is a painful one. And in Santa Cruz, a local indigenous leader is calling for the bells to be removed. KAZU's Jeremiah Edding reports. Indigenous leaders from across California converged in Santa Cruz in support of a plan to remove the state's El Camino Real bells. Leaders spoke at the event about the traumatic history of the missions and their impact on Native people. What we're calling for is that all bells throughout the state of California, be removed. That's Valentin Lopez, chairman of the Amamutsin Tribal Band, who's leading the effort. They should no longer be used as tourist attractions. They should no longer be used for lies. The truth needs to be told. Ho. We spoke by phone after the event. 
You know, it's just like the Confederate statues. There's a lot of parallels between the removal of the federal statues and the removal of the mission bells. Santa Cruz is the first town along the El Camino Real to rid itself of the bell markers. Its third and last remaining bell was supposed to be taken down during this ceremony, but someone stole it on the eve of the event. Nobody knows if the theft was in support or in protest of the bell removal. But in the end, the result was the same. An informative sign now hangs on the jagged hacksawed post that once supported the bell. It reads, El Camino Real Mission Bell Removed. The El Camino Real bells were first installed in the early 1900s. They were a way to drum up car tourism in California. I love the bells. I stop at missions, I, I know what the bells are all about, the El Camino Real. All these things are history pieces. That's Steve Princeby. He attended the bell removal ceremony. Despite his affection for the bells, he appreciated the event. I thought it was a really good thing to do, because we come to a point in our history where we're coming to learn all the perspectives that, that are out there, and it's an important moment in, in our cultural evolution. Still, he isn't sure that removing the bells is the right choice. I think that we'd miss out on a learning moment. I think it's maybe more valuable to leave these historical markers and then add to them, add some new perspective. But Martin Rizzo Martinez, the state park historian for Santa Cruz, sees it differently. The movement now that Lama Mutsun and, and many others are working towards to remove the bells and to instead put up markers that tell a more honest truth about the history, it's not so much an erasure. The erasure happened when the bell markers were put here. Mission Santa Cruz operated for about 40 years. Rizzo Martinez says records show that more than 90% of the Native Americans who lived and were born at the missions died there. It's a combination of disease, but also terrible living conditions and a system that punished people uh, frequently and it really worked them to death in many cases. We're speaking on a rainy afternoon below the towering steeple of the Holy Cross Church in Santa Cruz. The church was built where Mission Santa Cruz once stood. During its construction in the late 1800s, thousands of bodies of indigenous people were unearthed from the Mission Cemetery. Their remains were carted across town and dumped into a mass unmarked grave. As we speak, Visitors amble around the mission grounds. They snap photos of a replica of the original Adobe mission. One older man kneels before its door in prayer for several minutes. Chairman Lopez of the Amamutan says it's not the people of today who are responsible for the past, but he believes institutions should be held accountable. I grew up Catholic, believe it or not. Indigenous people need healing from that brutal history. But in all honesty, perpetrators need that healing more than indigenous people. The California Department of Transportation says there are about 515 bell markers along the El Camino Real. Removing them would require an act of the California legislature. In the meantime, the agency says it's mandated to maintain the bells. And Lopez plans to work with other tribes and communities to remove as many of them as possible. For the California Report, I'm Jeremiah Edding in Santa Cruz. And finally, South Lake Tahoe is often known for its majestic views of nature and year-round outdoor activities, from boating and hiking in the summer to skiing and snowboarding in the winter. But it's received another distinction this year, as most popular city in the U.S., for people browsing real estate. That's according to Zillow, the online real estate marketplace. According to the website, homes for sale in South Lake Tahoe got nearly 5,000 views per listing. By the way, Zillow analysts say the average price of a home in South Lake Tahoe is nearly $700,000. The Los Angeles suburb of Calabasas, home to many A-list celebrities, and Malibu finished second and third on the list, respectively. 
Big Bear Lake in Southern California, another well-known destination for people who love the outdoors, topped Zillow's list for most popular vacation town. Support for the California Report comes from Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, December 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs>